Um, today we're um, continuing our series in Ephesians that explores the nature and impact of grace. Um, and so we're in the, the first half of the letter, Paul outlines what Jesus has done for us. Um, now in chapters four to six, Paul outlines what we must do in response. Um, and the order is really important. Um, we don't live a certain way to be accepted by God. No, th- that would just make us our own saviors. But instead, we, we live a certain way because of who we are. And that's what we're going to look at today. So if you've got any uh, questions, we're going to have a bit of time for Q&A after the sermon as well. And, and that number will also be on the slides. Um, and today I'm going to be focusing particularly on verses 3 to 14 Um, that address a really tricky topic um, about the Christian sexual ethic. Um, So let's pray for God's help. Help us, Heavenly Father, not just to be hearers, but doers of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. As uh, God's people living in this world, uh, we need to be wise with how we relate to the culture around us. Um, In certain ways, we can draw solidarity with our culture. Um, We can affirm our world's longing for justice and human rights because God is a God of justice who created us in His image with great dignity. Um, We can affirm our world's desire for physical and and mental well-being because God delights in His creation and, and created everything good. But there are also ways that God calls us to be different. Um, Ways we are to distinguish ourselves from the world. And one area of contrast is that of sexual ethics. Uh, Sex is often an awkward thing to talk about at church. Um, It can seem like a bit of an elephant in the room, uh, a topic we we don't really like to address, but it's always there. Um, Because for uh, many people, uh, non-Christian, Christian alike, Uh, Sexual impulses can be very strong, almost impossible to master, Um, and we know sex is also something that can carry a lot of hurt and shame. But I I, I believe for us as God's people here in Melbourne, a powerful way that we can witness to our city and to our world is through the quality and the purity of our relationships. Uh, Why might sexual purity be such a powerful witness? Because it's so difficult and it's so rare. Um, In the ancient myth of Homer's Odyssey, um, the hero Ulysses warns his men about the danger of the sirens. Um, In Greek mythology, sirens were portrayed as beautiful women who, who sat on the rocks enticing vulnerable sailors with their seductive voices and their irresistible songs. And as the sirens sang, the the, the sailors wouldn't be able to resist their tune. They would sail towards the rocks where their ships would crash and sink to their ruin. Uh, So powerful was the song of the sirens that Ulysses orders his men to tie him up with rope tie him up to the mast of the ship so he wouldn't be able to direct the ship towards the sirens. Uh, From there, his men covered their eyes and their ears to block out all the sound. Uh, That's often how it can feel in in our battle with sexual purity, uh, with sin more generally. 
that we're just tying ourselves to the ship, we're covering our ears so that we don't get enticed towards ruin. But today, but today Paul's going to show us a better way, a process of transformation that's going to make freedom and purity possible. Um, so first, Paul calls us to leave the darkness, leave the darkness behind. Uh, verse 1 is the context for all Paul's going to say, that the goal of people saved by Jesus is to become like Him in every way, to be an imitator of God. And it's this pursuit that frames everything he'll say next. Uh, he begins in verse 3, but sexual immorality, all impurity or covetousness, must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Paul says once you belong to Jesus, you have to leave the darkness behind. Um, in Ephesus, uh, worshipping at this temple of Artemis would have included committing sexual immorality. Um, Artemis was the goddess of fertility and so temple prostitution was common. Um, but for people now who believe in Jesus, who are coming out of this culture and are coming into the church, how they would worship Jesus would be entirely different. And, and that's what Paul's saying to us today, that when we become, when we become Christians, when we believe in Jesus and, 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 become, and belong to Him, just as there's been a radical change in our identity and our belonging, that change must be reflected in our lives, especially in the area of sex. Um, the words Paul uses for sexual immorality and impurity are kind of intended to cover more than, than just sex, but any type of sexual activity outside of marriage. Uh, now, I realize that as you hear these words, it's going to seem harsh. Um, isn't this a bit of an overreach and, and just old-fashioned in our modern age? Uh, and when people look at Christianity, that's probably one of the impressions that they might get. Maybe that's the impression that might be forming in your mind now, that, that, that Christianity is anti-pleasure, anti-joy, that's enslaving you to these arbitrary commands. Uh, of course, we, we know that's not true of who God is as, as God who created everything and, and gave sex as a gift to humanity. Um, but as Christians, it's important for us to acknowledge that at times, uh, the church has historically gone too far the other way. Uh, so where sex is something to be celebrated as a, a gift from God, sometimes we've spoken about it as if it was something bad. Uh, something inherently evil or something to be afraid of. Uh, but, but that doesn't have to be the case. Uh, verse 4, Paul says, let there instead be thanksgiving. Sex isn't something to fear, no, it's something good to be celebrated. And, and this is really important because we should see these restrictions not as stifling our joy, but actually we have such a high view of sex, it's something so precious to us that we don't want to see it cheapened or commodified. Uh, to God, sex is so precious that it should only be practiced within the safety and stability of a marriage. Um, in this way, the Christian worldview is that an act so intimate should be reserved for a relationship that's as intimate at every other level, which is marriage. 
Um, so Paul's commands here, they, they seek to preserve the true value of sex as blessings that flow from a generous creator. Uh, think about fire. Uh, fire is a very powerful element that, when used well, brings life. Fire brings heat and warmth. It uh, allows us to cook warm and, and yummy meals. And so fire on the fireplace or on the stove is, is a life-giving gift. Uh, but fire, when, it, when it's not confined to the fireplace or the stove, it can, can, it can transform from a life-giving gift to a, to a destructive force. When not used in its proper context, it destroys homes and lives. And we've seen the devastating effects of uncontrolled bushfires on our nation. It's the same with sex. Sex within its proper context provides intimacy, safety, it creates life. But sex outside of its proper context creates shame, hurts people, and destroys lives. Uh, but Paul goes even further. It, it's not just about physical activity, but leaving the darkness also means not coveting with your mind. Um, it seems strange that Paul would mention coveting or greed when talking about sex, but greed is so often the reason we descend into sexual sin. By wanting what is not ours. Desiring someone else who doesn't belong to us. Uh, the Ten Commandments pick this up too. In the, in the Tenth and Last Commandment, it's not just about physical adultery. God says, don't even covet your neighbor's wife in your mind. And, and I think for, for, for many of us, this is where the danger is going to lie. Um, this type of coveting in the mind is, is common on the internet and, and social media. And we've seen the effects of pornography in our society how it's led to the objectification of people that are made in God's image. Um, where sex is simply sold or commodified, it, it dehumanizes us. It robs us of our values. And so it's not just what we do with our bodies, it's what we do with our phones, with our laptops that matters just as much. And so I, I think as a, as a church community, we have to be ruthless in how we guard our hearts and our minds on the internet and social media. Uh, I'm very mindful of my own social media use and how it's shaping my hearts and my attitudes. And so I've deliberately limited my social media use to guard my heart um, against lust and impurity. Uh, but this isn't just a men's issue. Um, we often think that lust is defined as a man desiring another woman. But that definition is incomplete. Because truth is, women struggle with this too. Uh, where men uh, may be tempted through visual images, uh, many women recount that, that a lot, uh, many struggle with lust in the mind by imagining what life could be like with someone who isn't their spouse. Um, it highlights an emotional and a relational layer to purity. But it's the, it's the same thing, it's coveting, it's wanting something that's not ours. You see, if we only think of lust as a men's issue, we won't support, we won't extend grace to the many women who struggle with lust in silence. And, and often the, the shame and embarrassment of lustful women 
they say is aggravated by the sex, by the fact that sexual sin is far too often just deemed a men's issue. But we see here, Paul's command for purity affects everyone, and it's so wide-reaching, it's so consistent, it extends to the mind, but also to our speech. In in verse 4, Paul says that even foolish talk or crude joking have no place in God's people. So even if we're joking about sex or crudely discussing it, our hearts are heading in the wrong direction. Um, often when we, when we think about sexual sin, we might ask, what's the harm? I mean, isn't it okay, as long as it's not hurting anyone? Uh, but the problem is with this is we see harm just in physical categories. We fail to recognize the emotional and spiritual harm it's, it's doing to us and doing to others. Um, how it can harden our conscience and, and fill us with shame and guilt. Um, even secular academics and psychologists who are seeing firsthand the psychological and mental effects of sex on our society, they're saying that sex isn't just dealing with a physical urge. No, sex is deeply powerful on an emotional and spiritual level. And most importantly, the real harm is to our souls. Paul says, verse 5, everyone who's sexually immoral or impure, who's covetous, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Um, By their actions, they demonstrate they don't belong to Jesus. They haven't been changed by His grace. Uh, This doesn't mean that just one mistake or one bad thought or one crude joke is going to send you to hell. No, there's always forgiveness for these things in Christ. But what Paul's describing here is the person without any shame, without any remorse, whose conscience is hardened against God, they they just don't care. This is the really hard thing about sexual sin. It's very easy to lie to yourself. Um, And so today I want to outline three pitfalls, three ways that we can deceive ourselves in this area. Uh, The first is comparison. Um, We can minimize our sin by comparing ourselves with others, even with people in the church. We say to ourselves, what I'm doing is not so bad because look at what they're doing. They're worse than us. And and, and so we can easily justify our behavior or our attitudes. Uh, But the danger is we forget the comparison Paul makes is not to others, but to God. We're to be imitators of, of God. And so be careful which standard to apply to your conduct. The second is convenience. Uh, Sometimes we make compromises based on pragmatism. Um, It might be more convenient for dating couples to move in together before they're married, um, to book only one hotel room when they travel. And yes, these commands make life hard. But remember that following Jesus is all about denying yourself. It's all about taking up your cross. It it was never meant to be easy. The third is comfort. We might tell ourselves, life is hard, so I owe it to myself to enjoy the comforts of this world. Um, Often this is a pitfall for Christian leaders, that the stresses of ministry, 
through that, we tell ourselves, man, we need an outlet to deal with this stress, or even, man, God owes it to me. But Paul's words ring true in verse 6. He says, don't be deceived. The wrath of God is coming. God will not tolerate His people being dehumanized. He won't tolerate worship of Him being turned away from the Creator to created things. Um, Having said all of this, leaving the darkness behind is so much easier said than done. And and maybe you realize today you need a change, you want to break free, but the pull towards sex can be so powerful, you may feel helpless to give, but to give in. And so you might think that the Christian sentiment is simply strap yourself in, strap yourself against the mast, close your eyes, hold on till the bitter end. But so far, we've only heard half the story. And so Paul continues to show us the better way, which brings us to our next point, that it's not just about leaving the darkness, We need to live in the light. Live in the light. Paul charges us in verse 7, do not become partners with them. Leave the darkness. Why? For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. In verse 9, light is associated with what is good and right and true. And because of Jesus, He's taken our darkness. He's died for our impurity on the cross. In exchange, He's given us His light. So Paul says to us, be who you already are. Uh, Similarly, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul warns the Corinthians that those who are unrighteous, who are sexually immoral, will not enter the kingdom of God. But look carefully at how he motivates them to change. Not by telling them how bad they are, but how beautiful Christ has made them. He says in verse 11, such were some of you. That's what you used to be like. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This Corinthian church, one of the most immoral churches in the New Testament, they didn't need a guilt trip. They needed the light of the gospel. Uh, I, rem- I remember talking to my friend who was really struggling with purity. He, he just wasn't able to break free. Um, and as I met up with him, I, I came to learn that his experiences as a child led him to believe that he was fundamentally dirty and unclean. And I realized at that point, guilt wasn't going to change him. He was already weighed down by guilt. What he needed was to know who He really was. That because of Jesus, He was washed and sanctified and justified, and that though He was once dirty, because of Jesus, He's been made clean. You can't just tie yourself to the mast of the ship. About 200 years ago, Thomas Chalmers wrote a book called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Um, In the book, he poses this question, How shall the human heart be free from its love for the world? His answer is love. He says, love is not a duty one performs, but a delight one prefers. It's an affection before it's a commitment. 
That's what Paul's saying here. As, as people rescued by God, being brought out of darkness and into the light, the power to break free from impurity is to go deeper into the Jesus' love for us. So Paul says, verse 8, be who you are. Walk as children of the light. Um, if sin is about deception and darkness, then living in the light is about pursuing truth and purity. It's not just about leaving the darkness, it's about actively trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Um, so can I encourage you guys here today, please be proactive about pursuing purity. Don't wait for it to come to you and then fend it off. No, get ahead of the game. Um, if sexual temptation is something you struggle with, then please share that with someone you trust. Share that with someone so that they can support you, that they can pray for you, they can keep you accountable. Um, be mindful of, of the content that we're consuming, whether it's social media or books or TV, uh, because what we fill our minds with will guard our hearts and our affections. So Paul says, fill our minds with things that are true and, and things that are good in God's Word. Uh, sometimes uh, in the area of, of sexual ethics, and particularly for those who are dating, sometimes we might be unsure about whether something uh, we're thinking of doing is permissible or not. Um, and of course, there's lots of grey areas in life and it's hard to kind of make hard and fast rules around things. Um, but I find the rule in verse 20 to be very helpful, not just with relationships, but with every decision I make. Paul says, give thanks to God in everything. So, if you're not sure whether something is, something is okay or not, you can ask yourself this question. Is this something that I can give thanks to God for? Is this something I can thank God for? If you can, do it. If you can't give thanks for it, then don't do it. Uh, when, when you walk into a dark room and you turn on the light, light immediately just floods in, it touches everything. Light is this unstoppable force that pushes back the darkness and makes everything visible. Um, and in verse 11, as children of the light, that's what we're to do. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, leave it behind, but instead expose them, Conf confess your sins to one another. In verse 12, where things remain in the dark, in, in secret, shame remains, but when it's exposed to the light, it, it becomes visible. And, and this is the process of transformation. Because where, where things are left in secret, where they're in the dark, they, they have this hold over us. But as light floods in and it exposes our sin, it exposes the ugliness of our evil, light brings us to a conviction of our sin and repentance. And as we share these things with God and with others, we bring them into the light. And this is how we find freedom. I was speaking to a, a friend um, who was struggling with um, attraction to someone who wasn't his spouse. Um, and that was really hard for him to share with me. Um, but as he shared that with me, do you know what happened? Um, over time, it just didn't seem that big a deal anymore. 
um, bringing it into the light, just sharing it with someone, just took the shame, just took the intensity out of it. And over time, that attraction faded away. Why? Because it, it was brought into the light and, and light floods into the darkness. And, and so don't underestimate the blessing of a supportive Christian community that is defined by grace. Now, I, I think this is what the world needs to see from the church. Um, sadly, at times, the church hasn't been a great example of purity and instead it's been exposed um, as not much different to the world. But I, but I want you to imagine for a second how we here could be a community that really witnesses to the power of the gospel in our relationships. That friendships between men and women could be so pure that we don't need to second-guess people's motives. We can simply be friends. Imagine a community where we can celebrate both married and single people because sexual fulfillment isn't the ultimate thing in life. Imagine a community of grace that doesn't judge people for their sin, but gently encourages us, loves each other as we're all sinners saved by grace alone. Um, I realize that for some of us here today, that shame and guilt won't be so easily removed. Uh, maybe it thinks it's things you've done in the past or you're continuing to do that are just weighing you down. Uh, and for you, the Christian life really does feel like you're just tying yourself to the mast and you're holding on. It's not working. Um, sometimes you hear these stories about, you know, people who believe in Jesus and they instantly break free from their sins and, and you can't relate to that because that just hasn't been your story. Um, or maybe it wasn't anything you did. Uh, it was something that was done to you. And though you didn't do anything wrong, it may still fill you with shame and brokenness. And that shouldn't have happened. The reality is that living in a broken world, sometimes our past will take a lifetime to heal. Um, often the hurts and temptations will never fully go away in this life. But no matter where you're at right now, the good news for you is Jesus is drawing near through a song. Uh, the quote in verse 14 is based on Isaiah 60. It's, a, it's an invitation to, to wake up, to rise from the dead and come back to God. Um, it was spoken to the Israelites in their greatest darkness in exile as they would hear the gentle song of God calling them back. Um, Paul now uses this as an early Christian hymn or a song an invitation to come and receive the healing light of Christ. I mean, isn't it amazing with all the temptations, with all the burdens of our world, Jesus calls us through a song. Jesus is the one in Hebrews who was tempted in every way, yet without sin, so He's able to empathize with all our struggles. And He invites us, draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. His burden is easy, His yoke is light. Uh, we heard at the start that one way to deal with sin and temptation is like Ulysses, who endured the song of the sirens by tying himself to the ship. But what Jason and the Argonauts did was quite different. Um, instead of trying to tie themselves to the ship to resist the temptation of the sirens, 
they got one of their crew, Orpheus, to play his lyre. And as Orpheus plays, his song is far more beautiful, far more powerful, far more captivating than that of the sirens. And it breaks their enchanting spell. Friends, that's what Jesus does. Jesus sings a better song. He leads us out of darkness, not by tying us up with ropes. No, He sings a more beautiful song. A song of healing and and salvation. A song that leads us safely to the shore. Uh, And one day as we arrive on that shore, all the guilt and, and brokenness, all that shame will just be enveloped with light. We'll be transformed perfectly into the image of our Savior. I hope you can see today that Paul's commands aren't here to enslave us. They exist to bring freedom. They remind us our, our, our sexuality isn't the deepest part of who we are. No, the deepest part of us is in Christ. And because of that, we can lay down our brokenness and our struggles to Him. Um, in this way, actually, sex isn't ultimate. It, it doesn't need to define us. It, it's simply a gift that's, that's pointing us to our Creator, the one who created us for eternal joy, for lasting intimacy, far greater than this world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that Jesus sings a better song. Thank you that Jesus is the light of the world who takes our darkness, gives us his light. Lord, help us by your spirit to break free, find healing from our sin and brokenness. Lord, we thank you that Jesus is the God who draws near. Lord, help us to approach the throne of grace with confidence to find grace and mercy in our time of need. In Jesus' name, amen.